0: Hello and welcome to the Global Maritime Symposium here on Freightwave's Global Supply Chain Week. I'm your host for today's segment. My name is Steve Ferreira and I'm CEO of Ocean Audit, an ocean freight refund consultancy based in Hartford, Connecticut. Today's topic is extremely near and dear to my heart because it cuts down right to Americana, containerization, supply chain, distribution. And the whole nine yards with an expert that really can pull it together for our entire audience. As a matter of fact, today's segment is titled Supply Chain Green Shoots Doing It the Right Way. And it's W R I G H T for my illustrious guest, president of UWL, a leading American owned NVOCC, Duncan Wright. Duncan, welcome to the stage.
1: Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the intro. Not heard yes. that right joke before, so very original. <laughs> you know, that came to me like
0: five minutes before camera time, so I hope you don't mind me uh, throwing that in. That was that's a uh, you know way to go. And uh, I just want to share with my audience. You know, I, I've known Duncan for a while now, and you know, Duncan is uh, a luminary in the trade. He's, uh, uh, as I said at UWL, Duncan is a top 15 American-owned NVOCC based in Cleveland, Ohio. You're involved in 3PL distribution. You've got vast experience working in the Trans-Pacific. You've even worked for my old alma mater, Sealand, I don't know if you, you knew that, but we're ex-Sealanders together. And uh, you've got the experience at Dewell, and at uh, Horizon, and CSX, The Rail. But you know, Duncan, one of the things I most admire about you is uh, your creative thinkership, if that's a word, uh, your out-of-the-box ability to be creative and to combine that with a tech orientation, which I think really helps you um, matriculate your relationship building, not only within your, uh, your external client base around the United States, but also with your internal customers. And I want to talk about that in a second, but first of all, welcome again. It's great Thank to have you.
1: Here. Much appreciate the kind intro. Well,
0: it it's it's uh, there's a lot to cover and uh in this segment today uh covering uh supply chain uh, green shoots the right way. You've done it the right way. And one of the things I'm I'm duly impressed is and we've talked to uh you know of course we've got our our headliner Gary Vee. We've talked about branding, we've talked about relationship building, we've talked about content building. But I'm damn impressed with the way that you've taken the industry by storm and using video to communicate both intra and extra uh, UWL. Can we just spend a little time talking about, I know it's COVID and post-COVID and you're looking for the right edge, but how did you come up with the concept to do so much video shooting almost to the point now where you have your own video team internally? Talk about that.
1: Yeah. If you saw my setup here in our HQ, it's um, the lighting setup like something from a Hollywood studio. So, you know, there's no hiding behind email here at um, at UWL and, and the World Group. We, we very much uh, are all becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable in front of the camera. And, you know, we try to follow a culture of transparency, not just for our customers, but also for our employees and all our financials and our, our annual and quarterly goals. Um, we all get on film, we talk about them, we do round tables all on camera. And we have a local um, a video company comes in every, almost every week now. And obviously COVID drove this initially because we weren't able to travel so much, but actually found it to become a really powerful tool. And I think a lot of the things that we now have in place post-COVID are gonna remain. And um, it's certainly been a productive way for us to reach our, or our employees.
0: Well, I just think it's tremendous because, uh, you know, the morale factor, we've talked about that, you and I, um, uh, several times about, uh, you know, uh, professional men and women sitting around their homes and and our our beautiful uh, shipper and uh, consignee external customers out there that are, you know, feeling the burden of COVID and, uh, you know, especially moving into uh, more e-commerce structures, uh, getting away from brick and mortar structures. So I think it's like, Forgive the pun but it's almost like the early bird gets the worm gets the worm here. How did UWL become an early adopter in using some of these techniques like video and then you know maybe even some of the the technology tools that you're using to help keep your customers abreast of all the developments?
1: Yeah, I mean I think you know speed of of information now is a new currency with the impacts of COVID um the congestion issues the fact that a lot of our information in this industry unfortunately is still not um i would say it's still not uh, completely compliant or standardized across all the ocean carriers globally you know we came close with um companies like uh, dcsa that are trying to bring it all together but you know you're only as strong as your your weakest link from a customer perspective so you know we've really tried to drive some change around that area and and focus on getting the information to the com- the customers Using a few different methods, like we tried to get more involved here, our sister company has fourteen hundred dredge trucks, so we are um, definitely spearheading um, North American initiatives on that, and then also we track the vessels themselves don't rely on traditional carrier EDI and um, focus on tracking airplanes and such so yeah,
0: I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, I remember back uh not so long ago, I invested some six figures into an EDI uh audit scheme that i wanted to bring to ocean audit and i quickly mothballed it you know you and i are so in sync with the fact that the carrier edi um the whole process on the 310s and the 315s it's just not ready for prime time i love all the initiatives and i and you know i say it with peace and love but i think i think it's been extremely smart what you've done to move slightly away off the mark of where everyone else is trying to chase and I think your technical savviness, you know, helped you to lead the charge on that. So, I mean, my hats are off. And I think, you know, when you look at what you've done uh, in tracking and tracing and, and communicating the the modules that are really important to today's client, it goes hand in hand with, you know, there's like a fork and a knife right and in in your case you know you're not just a traditional nvo player you're also into the the warehouse kingdoms you know and one of the things i've just been so darn impressed with what you've done duncan is can you talk a little bit about i know you built a savannah warehouse recently it was huge six hundred thousand square feet it's all occupied And i know you're working on new york and and these are so exciting initiatives because as we move into that e-commerce mode, I think it gives UWL a real leg up. So talk a little bit about the vision on the warehousing and kind of how you co-opt all the pieces together.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we are in a very, I would say, exceptional period of change and opportunity, I guess, for the 3PL community in the in the warehouse space. Um Yeah, we're we're up to over half a million square feet in most of the major port markets on the east coast, and continue to expand that. And as you said, exactly, the shifts in e-commerce is you know, and the and the traditional RDCs of the retailers which sit in inland locations, that whole model has been really turned on its head. Yes, and the customers are looking for more and more solutions which put warehouse product nearer the populations, tied to the e-commerce demand, and also the increase, obviously, that they have in um, safety stock needs, based on the complete unpredictability of the global ocean environment right now.
0: One of the things I love about you know talking to you uh, and you know we're we're so simpatico in terms of our love for the industry, you know we talked uh, something that you brought up, and, and not a lot of uh, NVO leaders, or freight forwarding leaders, have brought it up to me is the whole issue of translating. I think that. You know, as you start to move the box in different ways, and you start to get creative, and we'll launch into contracting in a second. But I think that one of the things that UWL does pretty well is, you know, finding um, alternative ways, and almost like real niche ways. And forgive me for saying this, but in some ways, the way that you niche out or, or scope out a, a solution for a customer, you know, the price points that you're getting are are fair, and and they're they're making sense for the services rendered. But at the same time, you know, margins are what it's all about. Can you talk a little bit about maybe just the way that, you know, you've you've rolled out your differentiation to the client base? I think that would be important for my audience.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, it's the the core, core to that comment is, you know, the world group, we have a lot of assets in our network. So we own and operate the buildings, the dredge component. And these are areas now of great risk for our customers. So... What we do is we obviously link those together, so we have our own dredge handling our warehouse moves, our forwarding moves, and then trying to provide these alternate solutions to customers in other port markets. We can quickly help them adapt. Um, you know, most mid-sized BCOs or shippers today will, you know, traditionally use the LA region, mm-hmm. Ontario, Chino, those types of areas to distribute to their um, to their customers across the country. And we're able to quickly offer the East Coast solution to that and also looking into the Gulf and finding alternate ocean services that also help support their distribution needs. So it's such a complex problem now that we believe we've got the actual physical skin in the game to be able to really help those customers with these dynamic shifts we're seeing um, and the need for flexibility on their supply chain. And that's the fundamental shift we're seeing here.
0: And, and I will say, uh, as somebody that's done a lot of uh, marketing uh, with my own business, I would say that uh, you're headquartered in in Cleveland, Ohio. Is that
1: correct? Yep. And I actually think actually that... in a little town called Rocky River on the the west side of Cleveland.
0: Okay, in the in the Cleveland suburbs. And yep. and I, I think it's been my findings that uh, small, mid-market sized customers in that whole geographic area, you know, plus or minus 500 miles from where you are. I mean, it's a hell of a population zone and at the same time it's my humble opinion those clients have not in the past got the same type of service as say the clients in LA or in um in Miami or in um uh or in Savannah because you know the inland client i think it demands a little bit more hand holding a little bit more of that niche touch Um, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, and Maersk has come out and said, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're Maersk, you know, we're, we're looking now at the smaller client because, you know, that that's where our margins are. But yet, you know, you're dancing in that, in that market and you're doing quite well. How do you go about customer acquisition and to you, uh, is there one right size, pardon the pun again, that makes sense for, for the UWL family to have as a client?
1: Well, there's never really one right size. And this industry has taught me that the second you think you know what your perfect customer is, a new one shows up <laughs> and, and new, new opportunities happen. We amen, have customers amen. today ranging from, you know, top 10 retailers all the way to actually down through to, um, you know, the, the local fellow here. And, you know, generally what they're needing is, is they're needing access to capacity right now. They need access to expertise to help them navigate tariff and the complexities around changes on that. Um, I'm not even going to start on 2021 contracting, but suffice to say.
0: Oh, you're not getting away that easy. That's coming up in two minutes.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think almost every major BCO this year, every major shipper at every size um, is going to be looking to have an NVO in the mix. And we're seeing them, you know, coming to us on a regular basis, the larger shippers um, needing ac- access to different services and routes. So it's a very dynamic and complex environment. And, A company like us that's big enough where we have, you know, we have the tools and the investment, but also small enough where I personally get involved with every client, and um, I'm accountable, and I give them direct access to myself and my leadership team um, to be accountable for communication and um, to make sure that we're we're providing a great service. So, to your point, the 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 inland piece, a lot of the big global forwarders and carriers, they've closed down their presence in these smaller markets, and that's true. That's my point.
0: Good, good point. So we're going to launch in uh, in, in uh, 15 to 20 seconds into uh, kind of the money shot here. Everyone wants to know about contracting and they want to get, you know, the, the big picture from the right guy. Again, there I go. Uh, but before we go there, tell me, uh, summarize what we've talked about so far. What, what would you say are the outside of the ocean rates and the contracting? What are the three main elements that BCOs need to really keep their eye on for 2021? Let's leave contracting alone right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously we have um, a, a huge shift in, in in global containerization right now. Um, you know, we have we have a container problem, right? We have an infrastructure that's struggling. We have, um, from a macro, you know, standpoint, we have a huge shift in consumer demand. A lot of companies forecasted drops in demand when COVID hit, and the consumer almost went in the other direction. So, you're going to have to be having a very very close look at your distribution models. Okay. your carrier contracts, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle for a shipper.
0: Okay, so let's talk contracts. All right, I'm gonna do a role play with you here a little bit. I'm gonna just say, you know, uh, Duncan, um, let's say that you're on an airplane and you just got lucky enough to sit next to uh, Jeff Bezos, although he's, you know, leaving Amazon. And Jeff says to you, oh, so you know, you're an ocean guy. You're, you're, you're an expert in this kind of genre. What are the three best things that you would tell me to do at Amazon with my contracts coming up, Duncan? How do you respond?
1: Well, company like Amazon um, specifically- No, 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 Let,
0: let's, uh, let's leave the size of it. I'm just talking about generically how would you respond to what a client might say, Here's, what are my three best yeah. tips?
1: Well, I think I think this year we saw um, you know issues around equipment shortages, access to bookings and space, and now we've got the added problem of complexity of- um, of uh, congestion issues. So, my, my big three things I would home in on is make sure you have an NVOCC in the mix and you give them regular cargo because that will give you access to, for example, we have around a million TU of, of contracted access to space with our colo partners and direct contracts. It just gives the shippers more flexibility. That's number one. Number two, have a hard look at your MQCs, especially on the smaller lanes where you may only have 50 or 100 containers because I think the carriers are going to squeeze on those. And you may not see that regular, you know, MQC divided by 52, and you certainly aren't going to have the ability to, um, you know, to to handle your peak season um, in ways that you maybe have traditionally. So I think you'll see a shift there. And then also, I think you have a very, very close look at what free time allowances you're going to have, and also the negotiation of free time when you move under FAK, because that's another missing piece that a lot of companies aren't looking at is there's different free time allowances by the type of contract cargo you 're moving, whether it 's moving on um, the open market through through a through an NVO or through your carrier contract, so those are three big areas that I think um, need to have a look, and of course, tying back to that warehouse and, and as you said, Steve, the transload and cross side of the business, add different port pairs and look at adding some different port access points to your uh, supply chain as soon as you can because sure, sure. You know, we don't think the LA congestion issue is going away anytime soon. I agree. And uh,
0: give me uh, two, like, fifteen and a 20 second sound bites on two other comments I'll make about contracting. Do you think contracting will be more shorter short-term contracts in duration?
1: I don't think we'll see a fundamental shift in in this, the contracting. Um, You know, the carriers have have done a good job of of managing and marketing their rates with their um, persistent GRI program. What I think you may see changing is PSS, for example, may may disappear peak season and you may be replaced by some kind of premium product or premium element in the contract. That's something that may happen this year. Um, But I think the duration of the contract, the carriers like to push that surplus volume into the forwarder market because obviously the rates on the open market are right now double or or more than their contracted rate.
0: Sure, and then the last question about that as we wrap up is, do you think contracts will be more enforceable or or have more bite and teeth to them this year than others?
1: Well, we're dealing with carrier alliances that are obviously global in nature, and, um, you know, subrogation and and arbitration is done in foreign countries. It it can be difficult to to fully, you know get the get get the legal um, protection you would expect, but you know there's not a lot of um, control in the states anymore, something that was very different from the days when you and I were in in, in the ocean carrier side, where you know Sealand, APL and previously u s lines were definitely leaders in terms of mm-hmm. um, you know how to service the customer. and um, so i don't I don't know how enforceable it's going to be. Um, We will love to see how the FMC or possibly other government um, agencies get involved.
0: That's a very, very, very interesting way to uh, end our discussion. I like that comment, and that's something I I hadn't considered, and I think you're you're spot on. And, um, you know, Duncan, I just want to tell the audience that, uh, you know, what a great conversation that we've been having today with uh, Duncan Wright, uh, president of uh, UWL. Uh, a great uh, NVOCC headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's just been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, Duncan. How do uh, our uh, followers and our colleagues watching you today get in touch?
1: Um, well, I'm 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 getting more and more engaged on LinkedIn. I'm pretty passionate about some of the challenges the industry faces, and particularly the plight of our shippers. So, you know, please follow me on LinkedIn, or um, feel free to reach out to me directly on our on on my email at d at ship. UWL, And I look forward to hearing you. And we're happy to engage with, with customers of all sizes to help uh, help fix your problems and, and help with solutions.
0: Well, Duncan, it's been an amazing conversation today. I want to thank you for gracing the Freight Waves virtual stage here during our Ocean, Global Ocean Maritime Congress. From the set of Global Ocean Maritime Congress 2021, I'm Steve Ferreira, CEO of Ocean Audit, host of Freight Waves Navigate B2B. We'll see you on the next round. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Steve.
1: Bye-bye.